0: This is Eye on Foxborough, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots. Brought to you by MassLive. Live.
1: Welcome to Mass Live's Eye on Foxborough podcast. I'm Patriots columnist Karen Gurigian. And I'm pleased to welcome former NFL executive and current NFL network analyst, Scott Pioli. Scott has been a chief decision maker for several NFL teams, most notably with the Patriots during their first stretch of championships. Today's show is going to focus on the Patriots in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, or rather, the lack of Patriots. With both Rodney Harrison and Vince Wilfork recently named semifinalists, I thought it would be a good time to chat with Scott. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hey, Karen. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well in the podcast world now.
0: (laughs) Hey, there's worse places to be for sure.
1: (laughs) This is true. You and I have talked plenty of times over the years about upcoming Patriot candidates for the hall and how long it's taken even Ty Law and Richard Mm -hmm. Seymour to get in. Um, We we have a couple of semifinalists on the ballot now who have never gotten past the semifinal stage with Rodney Harrison and Vince Wilfork. Um, First off, do you think it's odd that there are only two players from those from the teams that you were uh associated with are are only two in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, I I actually find it I find it odd. I find it disappointing. And I'm hoping that that time will take care of that. You know, I, I look back on those teams and you know it's interesting, Karen, because when we look back on those teams, uh I'm not a person that lives with much regret. Um one of the things that I do I get it, and I believe regret is is the word. There was so much focus on our team, right? And that we were a terrific team. And we asked the players, the coaches, everyone involved in the organization in the football operation was asked to be selfless. And by doing that, we elevated the team. And then this narrative and perception started that players were looked at. Being simply team guys, being simply system guys, that, that they were they were lesser than some of the other players around the league. When in fact they were terrific players. You mentioned, you know, Rodney and Vince. I have you know, been fighting since the moment that Rodney was eligible because I, I look back at him as a player, and regardless of how you look at it, whether you look at film, if you're a film person, you could see that Rodney was truly one of the greats in the league. If you look at it from an analytics standpoint, he was truly one of the greats. And Vince. And then there's a, a number of other players, I'm sure at some point in time soon, we'll be talking about Adam Benatari. We know we'll be talking about Tommy. But they, you know, I look back at some other championship teams that had championship runs and the number of players that they had in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and when you live with those players day to day, we knew how good they were. We knew that Several of them were great players. And again, when I say the regret part, I just look back on it is that we asked these players to suppress self for the greater good they did. And I just feel like on the other side of that, there should be, when, once that team time is over, that there should be something else where they get recognized.
1: Yeah. Just for reference, Standard, uh, you did mention a couple teams that have multiple championships in a certain stretch of time, the Steelers being one, uh, they have 10 players in from their four championships uh, during the 70s and early 80s. The 49ers have six in from the four they won. they, They did win five, but Four were were in a kind of clustered period of time, much like the Patriots three in the early uh two thousands. Right. I mean, two for the Patriots, ten for the Steelers, six for the 49ers.
0: Karen, go to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that won one Super Bowl and their defense. I think they have like five or six. Defensive players from that team in the Hall of Fame. And again, I'm not dismissing those players. And that's what not what this is about. Right. The conversation isn't about that John Lynch shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. It's that Rodney Harrison was was he was, he was a, in my opinion, a a better player at the position.
1: When you again, if you were to compare Rodney Harrison to several safeties who are in John being John Lynch being one of them, even Brian Dawkins, you know, I was looking up numbers. Uh, Rodney has more interceptions than John Lynch 34 to 26.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He has more sacks than John Lynch 30.5 to 13. He has more tackles than John Lynch, 920 to 727. He has more championships than John Lynch. And again, I don't I mean, Rodney is is lacking in Pro Bowls, but yeah. on, on the scale of 1 to 10, I don't think Pro Bowls are the, are the best measure.
0: No, they're not. they because I remember how the Pro Bowl used to be picked, too. And, and, and just for – let's talk about Rodney before we talk about him as, as a safety. Let's look talk about him as a football player. Mm-hmm. He was the first football player in the entire history of the National Football League to record 30 sacks and have 30 interceptions. That's the in the history of this entire game. And to this time, you know, we're sitting here in 2023, mm-hmm. there's only been two players that have ever done it, the other one being Ray Lewis, so, I mean, again, I get stats. I know stats. I'm not a huge stats guy, but if we're going to talk about stats for this moment, let's talk about that. You talk about how he had more tackles, how he has more sacks, how he has more interceptions, all of those things. You know, the, the other fact is this. Rodney did it in only 186 regular season games. John Lynch played 224. I understand the importance of numbers, and I've never been someone who's made it just about the numbers. Um, When you look at film, when you look at tape during Rodney's time, there's no doubt that he's one of the best players in the National Football League at that position. And when we we talk about numbers, again, if we're going to talk about numbers, when you look at Rodney's tackles that are more, interceptions that are more, sacks that are more, again, than John Lynch, and, and again, this is not discrediting John Lynch at all, but he did it in only 186 games, whereas John played 224 games. You look at some of the other players, Rodney did more in less than a lot of other folks. And, and I also have very strong feelings about the whole all pro Pro Bowl thing. You know, when you look at all pro, Rodney is one of the rare players that made more all pros than he did Pro Bowls. And one thing that, you know, because I've been around for so long, I remember being in the meetings when the players selected the Pro Bowl. And you would sit, stand in your team meeting room. They would hand around, you know, papers and players would vote and you would be stunned by the number of players that were in the rooms voting on the Pro Bowl that didn't know the rest of the players around the league. They knew the players on their team. They knew the players in their division. They knew who the big and sexy names were, but they didn't know and and the number of times that they would ask, players would ask, hey, who's the leading receiver? You know, who has the most catches? Oh, he must be a pro bowler. So to me, there was, there was, there was something about pro bowls being selected and and, and I'm not trying to throw a conspiracy theory out there, but I, I really do believe this, Karen. And I hope I'm, you know, people will will at least consider this thought the way that Rodney played, which was at times after the whistle, Because of who he was and how he was on the football field, he was labeled certain things. And in my personal opinion, at times I did believe that I felt and sensed and heard that it was racist. And Rodney was framed in a way that I think was incredibly unfair. And I know that I can say that because I heard the things. I heard people talk, but I also knew Rodney. Right For those first nine years he was in San Diego, when the Chargers were still in San Diego, I was a pro personnel director and then ended up becoming Vice President of Player Personnel, so I did reports and evaluated Rodney every single year, and I saw him play and when I talked about him, I heard what people would say, but then I lived with Rodney, and Rodney is one of the most incredible and fine human beings, Karen, you got to spend time with him. He he is an amazing human being. He's an incredible husband. He's an incredible father. He was one of the best teammates I've ever seen. Um, it's um, I, I look at that, some of the popularity contest things that he was involved in, which were Pro Bowls and stuff like that, um, that is somehow being used against him when the numbers don't lie. And quite honestly, the tape doesn't lie.
1: Yeah, it, I think this is his 10th year of eligibility. It's unreal. And it's you know, at least 8 or 9 years too long if you ask me. Um but I do think that reputation that you were talking about is has impacted the voters.
0: Absolutely. Unfortunately. But again, if if we want to if we want to get into that if we want to start looking at, looking at the makeup of individuals and some of the people that are in the Hall of Fame and what their personal history was and or um, just some of their stuff, you know, we, if, if we're going to make it about the play and the performance, let's make it about the player performance. Let's not put so, – and, and when I look at character, again, penalties and fines are one thing. When I look at the man, again – now, you know, Rodney says that that I think too highly of him, that he's flawed too. But, you know, I get it. But <laughs> as a person and a human being, he's incredible.
1: Yeah. For him not to be, and, and, and again, you, you brought this up. He's one of only, he was the first to yes. have 30 sacks and 30 interceptions. And Ray Lewis is the only other one. And he's in the Hall of Fame.
0: Right. And, and so, again, in the history of the game, not just safeties, not just the, in the history of the game.
1: Yeah, well, I I think a different thing is we'll tie up Vince Wilfork, and it's mm-hmm. really, we're talking about Rodney having the statistics, him also being somebody you can watch on film and know right away, you know that he belongs. Vince doesn't have numbers, right? You know? 16 sacks in, in 13 years doesn't exactly scream off the page. Right. But I think anybody watching him play either live on film or, or whatever would agree that during his time, there might not have been a more dominant nose tackle in the game. And you, and again, you just have and it, part of it was the scheme and what he was asked to do. Mm hmm. Uh, but he shouldn't be penalized for that. It took a long time to get Richard Seymour in for that very reason. Well, for that same reason.
0: Exactly right, Karen. Exactly right. And, and, you know, you used the perfect word, which is dominant. And here's the other thing that Vince said. He he created, he was a stabilizing force, because if you remember, which I'm sure you do, you were, you were right there with us, you know, we had a revolving door of noses that came through. It was Keith Trailer. It was Ted Washington. It was this every year we're changing it out until we got big Vince. And when we got Vince, that completely solidified the middle. And again, he was the perfect two gap nose. But then he also had this other ability where, you know, when they were stunts called and he had to play one gap and, and as Bill's defense evolved and there was a little bit more one gap stuff, he was fantastic. Again, he provided a stability um, and, and dependability on the defensive line that was really rare. And, you know, so often we hear the phrase, you know, the most important ability is either availability or dependability. That's what Vince was. And he also had a dynamic. As you say, he can't be judged by statistics. Most inside defensive linemen can't be. And when they play in a certain system, and, and like Vince did, they can't be. But here's the other things. He was a champion. He was a two-time Super Bowl champ, but he had championship makeup. And, you know, one, the, one of the other things that you can't value on, you, you know, when you're evaluating certain players, if you go purely on statistics, if you look at film, but if you saw him in the locker room and the importance of him to us being a championship caliber team and a championship caliber defense, you know, as an inside player, absolutely second to none. Uh,
1: To that end, uh, I dug up a quote from coach Belichick on Vince and it almost, you know, quick quote, but I think it says, it says it all Uh, said coach Belichick, Vince exemplified all the things that define football greatness. And uh, I think that kind of backs up everything you just said
0: exactly right because football greatness is about the greater good yes it's about the individual and the hall and it's funny i've gone back and forth i've often said that it needs to be a champions hall of fame there needs to be a, an individual hall of fame and a champions hall of fame and i look at so many of the players that we had that would be in the champions hall of fame and vince is one of them but vince was a great player he was more than just a champion He was a dominant player, again, to use your word again. He absolutely wasn't. And and Bill's comment, you know, lends to that. Bill and I feel the same way about him.
1: Yeah, I think those Patriot teams are all of the Patriot championship teams. But let's focus on the ones that Rodney and, and Vince played for. I almost think there might be an unconscious bias from voters thinking that those teams' success were a two-man show, meaning Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. It is so wrong, but I almost think it's ingrained in some people who might not do their homework. Well, the Patriots won because they had Brady and Belichick. But guess what? They also had a defense. (laughs) And most notably, in those early championships, it was more about defense.
0: Absolutely. And and there is a bias. And that, that goes back, Karen, to the point that I was trying to make earlier, that because we asked players to be selfless, because they were, because they bought in, there was this element of what we were projecting, right? We were projecting that also from a public relations standpoint, not as you not not as something that it wasn't, but it truly was about the team and it truly was about the greater good. That was not some sort of persuasion or propaganda. It was the truth. And then, you know, when you see these two forces that remain through this time, um, I think it's incredibly unfair to to so many of the players and, and the people involved in the organization. It, it, to me, Again, I look at that and I see people being lazy, people that reduced it down to just two people and two things. You know, before Tommy was Tom, you know, there was a really good defense and really good special teams and really opportunistic defense and special teams that put Tommy in a position to become Tom and to be a champion. And and I'm not taking anything away from Tommy but he was able to develop because of some of the people around him and that defense. And that gave him time that bought him time. He had some incredible coaches around him. So, um, you know, I, you, you're, you're right that I, I think people don't give enough of the players the credit they deserve. Um, you know, look at, Hey, Willie McGinnis was a great player in this league. Yeah. Teddy Bruski was a great linebacker. If Zach, Thomas is not in the league at the same time as Teddy. We hear Teddy's name a lot more, right? And again, we can go on and on about the list of players that were really good, you know, on those football teams and really made a mark. I mean, people don't talk about Matt Light. Matt Light was a starting left tackle in this league for a number of championship teams, three Super Bowls. He went to four. I I mean, anyway, there's a lot of really good players that don't get the credit they deserve.
1: And they don't even get a sniff or a whiff of of consideration either.
0: Right.
1: Um, I, I think another factor that p- people bring up is the people who vote on the Hall of Fame committee, they, they only get to put in five mm-hmm. every year. So a lot of it is who they're going up against, you know, type, type of thing. But I, I still think, I don't know. You know, maybe you and I have a certain slant, but I I do think that if if the voters really looked beyond Tom and Bill, if they looked even beyond numbers, if they looked about at the Patriots' mantra of "check your egos at the door," it's a it's a really team deal. If they really watched those Super Bowls, they might have a <laughs> have a different perspective.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, you say that in, in terms of having a slanted view, here's here, here's another thing I'll say, you know, before I was a GM slash vice president of player personnel, whatever my title was, I was a pro scout and a pro personnel director. So my job was to scout players in pro football. So I scouted Rodney his entire nine years with the Chargers before we had him. I did evaluations on him every single year. I saw him go from being a fifth-round pick, evolving a special teams player, evolving into becoming a starter in the National Football League. I know how good he was. I saw how good he was. Part of the reason we went out and got him at the Patriots. Again, he had – it was eight or nine seasons with the Chargers before he even came to the Patriots for those, for those seasons. And, you know, he went to a Super Bowl when he was with the Chargers too. This is a guy who was a great player. So even if I – do the best job that I can to displace myself from being, you know for for loving Rodney as much as I do. when I look at him objectively as a player, he was a great player in the league even before he was one of us.
1: yeah well, i I obviously i I have a close association with him, and again, I don't know what what more we need to do to kind of push them through uh you know, whether it's just constant badgering on the internet, which you were good at, Scott. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm passionate about it. I believe in him. And here's the other thing is I, I'm still very, very close with Rodney. Mm. And Rodney's not bothered by this in the slightest. And, you know, and he's talk a- think- to him, I talked to his wife, Erica, and Erica says, you know, Scott, I think you're more worried about this than Rodney is. And Rodney has told me that. And I think I do, because again, I know he's completely at peace. If he doesn't get in, he's completely at peace because of of, of the person that he is. And that's what makes me want it for him even more because he's not going to, you know, he's not going to change and become something different.
1: Yeah. And he's not going to stomp his feet. And it's one of those, it is what it is. And, you know, somehow I think, you know, what's nice is that both he and Vince and getting in the Patriots Hall of Fame, they, they kind of say that's where it's at for them. You know, they're yeah. they're they're kind of content. They're happy with that. That's the that's there's a Hall of Fame. They're in a Hall of Fame. You know, if the other thing happens, great. But it's not going to define who they are or what they've done and what they've meant right.
0: uh, to. Football. Can you imagine this the, the party? That Vince Wilfork will have, and the food that would be barbecue a party. Oh, oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> and, but, you know, each individual that gets in. They have that little Hall of Fame party and under the tent out there. I will tell you what, man that that's what bring a bib if if he gets in, bring him bib.
1: I know. Wouldn't you love to be the one though to knock on their door? Oh, knock so, knock on Rodney's door and tell him he's in. Wouldn't that be fun?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and because Rodney's an emotional person, and and there will be tears when it happens.
1: I hope it happens. Uh, Before I let you go, I I also know that you're uh, on the committees for the Black College Football Hall of Fame. And there's there's four Patriots who are up uh, for this year's induction, one being Julius Adams, Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Skywalker, Anthony Pleasant. And Tyrone Pool, uh, the latitude from the from the more recent championships.
0: Yeah, How
1: about the process and 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 what that's been like for you. Yeah, it,
0: it's it's it, it's on a, absolutely an honor um, I'm on the selection committee for Black College Football Hall of Fame. I'm also on the board of directors, and um, these meetings are so much fun because I, I love the history of the game. I especially love the history of HBCUs and Black College football. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's four people and four players, Julius Adams, who played at Texas Southern, um, Tyrone Poole played at Fort Valley State, Anthony Pleasant played at uh, Tennessee State, and Skywalker, you know, he was, Parcells drafted him his first year, Parcells and Bobby Greer drafted him in the seventh round in 94, and um, All four of those players, the Hall is mostly and more about their college football career. And these, you know, I've been a, I wasn't around for Julius Adams to see him, but I'm still a supporter because, you know, I, I know his career. But AP and Tyrone Poole are two guys I spent, you know, won a couple of Super Bowls with both of those guys. But I also know their career, you know, Anthony Pleasant in particular, you know, Bill drafted him at the Cleveland Browns. So I was with AP in Cleveland a year for the Baltimore Ravens, a couple of years at the New York Jets, and then we brought him up to Foxborough with us when we when we made that escape in the night to to get up to Foxborough. And AP was with us for our first two Super Bowls. And you know, he played 14 years in the league. But there's a guy who you know was an All American player, just tremendous players. It's 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 uh. If you don't know much about the Black College Football Hall of Fame, there's a website. I encourage everyone to go on. If you love the history of the game and how this game is built and if you're a believer that we are all standing on the shoulders of giants, um, there's a Hall of Fame. There's a Black College Football Hall of Fame. I I love talking about the history of this game. You know who else loves it? I'm going to throw another plug out there. You You mentioned the Patriots Hall of Fame. And this person will never say it. And I hope and pray and can't wait to the moment to see this person, speaking of historians, in the Patriots Hall of Fame. That would be Ernie Adams. Yes. Everyone talks about players, coaches, front office. Ernie Adams is more deserving because of all the time he spent with Coach Fairbanks there, with that staff, and all the years with the Patriots. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about it, um, it really being about more than two people. Ernie Adams was one of the most important people um, during those two decades of success with the Patriots. And then go back to when he was with coach Fairbanks in the seventies.
1: Yeah. You know, I've had the good fortune to be on the selection committee for the Patriots hall of fame. So each year I get to sit in, Ernie Adams is also on that committee, Yes, Uh, but I love listening to his takes on players.
0: Isn't he the best? <laughs> I, I mean, love Ernie, love yeah, Ernie. I
1: mean, blows about, I mean, the stuff, I mean, you know, like Rodney Harrison was a great player, of course, but to hear Ernie Adams explain why, you know, or what made him in his mind, what right. made Vince Wil- Wilfork in his mind, it's it's priceless, you know, listening to him. I guess- and so I mean, is his
0: presentation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess Robert Kraft would have to make it make another special. He, he got Dante Scarnecchia in this year. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you wholeheartedly, Ernie Ernie Adams. Although a lot of people don't know what he did.
0: <laughs> he did so much of everything. And again, you talk about quarterback development and yeah. having a hand in Tommy's development. Hey, I, I was there. I, I know who did the quarterback tapes every week for Tommy. And 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 when Matt Castle had to come in. Um, Ernie's, Ernie's role and production for that organization is, is immeasurable.
1: Right. And again, God, he had so many, did so many things. He would scout the opposing team. We know this from the, from the Patriot tapes, how he scouted Seattle, uh, the Seahawks and knew on fourth down on that play that Malcolm Butler made the interception because of Ernie scouting, they practiced that play constantly in the lead up to the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. And when I got going in, in pro personnel and pro scouting, I became an advanced scout and did a bunch of advanced scouting for a number of years. And two of the people that I learned a great deal from about scouting, one was Ernie, because I worked with Ernie in Cleveland. We were together in Cleveland at the Browns on Bill's staff. And Ernie would, would do a similar thing. And I remember spending time with him and, and and talking with him and learning how to do some things. The other person I learned a lot from was Steve Belichick, Bill's dad, who mm-hmm. you know he was a coach, but he was also a scout. Um, so yeah, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie was ter- terrific at everything that he did.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, he's off into retirement now, uh, <laughs> but you know he show he shows up at like Andover football games. <laughs> yeah, he
0: and Christine end up in the oddest places. They they show up on Nantucket to come visit us as well too. So it's uh, it's uh, Ernie is fantastic.
1: That's great. Well, Scott, I've enjoyed our time uh, chatting about Rodney and Vince and Patriots either being or not being in in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you, Karen. This has been Ion Foxborough, brought to you by Mass Live.